Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where our desire is to find meaning and mission in following Jesus. God designed us to thrive in the context of community, and we would love to have you join us for a weekend service soon in Vancouver. It's been three months since they've been in Egypt, maybe 10 months of plagues as some gather, so like 12 to 13 months ago, he was back here and scared out of his mind to do the job God put in front of him. And God says, go, certainly I'm going to be with you. And this is how you know I'm going to be with you. You're going to come right back here. And he shows up back at the mountain and he starts walking up the mountain and God meets him there. I, I mean, I just can't imagine the kind of things going through his mind as he realizes God was with me. God was with me. God, God in fact, was true. I put my faith in him and he proved to be faithful. What a thought. And he's here. He's back on the mount. God had deliberately taken this sea of people to this particular place. He, he sent them. It, it wasn't a random journey at this point. They weren't just wandering in the wilderness. They were heading to a destination. He says, take them right back here. I want to meet with you and I want to meet with these people right here. We're going to have an introduction right here. Come back here. And here he is. He's back at the mount. He comes up. He meets with God. And the first thing... God asks them to do. He says, Moses, I want you to tell your people to do this. I want you to tell them to remember the journey. I mean, that's essentially what, what, what verse 4 is. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. He says, Moses, go back and tell them this. Tell them to remember the journey. Remember the journey. Ooh. Hadn't been all that great, actually. Come to think of it. I, I mean, the journey from Egypt. You know how the children of Israel, they, they left Egypt and, and all the plagues and all the things. that they, First thing they do, they come to the Red Sea. They're now following God and they have so much faith. They're just like, God's going to take care of the whole thing. Actually, it didn't quite happen that way. They came to the Red Sea and they cried out to Moses, you brought us here to die. And he says, no, wait. And they parted the Red Sea and they go through and, and, and the, the Red Sea parts. <laughs> they walk through on dry ground. They walk through on dry ground. Their enemies are destroyed for good. They're set free from Egypt once for all. They're on the other side. And you would think, man, they are never going to doubt God again. It's about three days later. Remember the journey? <laughs> three days later, they're like, we're thirsty. You brought us out here to die. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know there's 10 plagues and I know you sent the death angel. I know you parted the Red Sea and delivered us in a way that no one else on, on earth or in history could ever do. But you don't know how to give us a drink and we're going to die. And he, and he gives them water. And they never doubted God again. Until the next day. And they're like, we're hungry. I, I swear I had this same conversation from Seattle to Vancouver. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. It was just the exact same thing. And I'm like, are you serious? I just gave you water and God's having them remember the journey. Remember the, no, is that not what he said? Remember the journey, how I bore you up on eagle's wings. Like it was as good as you could have ever gotten it. And God fed them and they never complained again until the next day. <laughs> And we're back to water again. They're thirsty again. 
they have the shortest memory that in any people I've ever read about. And they beg God for something to drink, and he gives them something to drink. And for the whole time, he's not angry with them. He actually gives them. He actually takes care of them. It's like he's bearing them up on eagles' wings. He says, remember the journey. And then came Amalek. And God delivers them from an enemy they had no way of defeating. And all they have to do is hold up Moses' hands and their victory is, is, is theirs. And God takes them all along the way. And, and, it, and it's just like it says, Ye have seen, ye have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. And after you remember, and, and I'm sure the, the children of Israel, this is the first message they get from God at Mount Sinai. Remember what happened? I'm trying to forget, actually. Yeah, but remember how I gave you the drink? Yeah, I know. Remember how I fed you? Yeah. Remember how I defeated your enemies? Okay, you made your point. You understand what's going on? It's like, remember. Like, this is really embarrassing. And after God says, the first thing I want you to tell them is to remember the journey. You got to ask, I mean, when you get to this point, when you get to the Mount Sinai, are you not thinking with me, God, why bother? May, why bother with me? Do you remember your journey? Do you remember the foolishness you went through in life before you came to Christ? Do you remember the journey? It's kind of embarrassing. And, and you got to ask yourself, why would God bother? Can I tell you why he bothers? He doesn't bother. He didn't say, look, look at how awesome this people is. Look at how good they are here. I want to make a covenant with you because you're such a stellar group of people. Friend, he has no reason to bother with us except for two reasons. And that is this. Number one, he is a God who keeps his promises. And number two, he loves to love. Do you know why God bothers with you and me? Because he loves us. <laughs> he loves to love. He, he doesn't just love sometimes. It is the very essence of his character. He loves us. He loves you. He wants to bother with you because he loves you. That's the only reason. Man, I, 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 do, I do think of my kids. I do think of, you know, the struggle it is to be a parent and, and the whining and the complaining and the correcting. And, and, and you give them presents. I don't... I, now, hopefully it's not all the time. Hopefully it's not all the time. It's like, oh, I didn't really want that. You know, like, are you serious? Do you understand? Uh, I know, your kids are perfect. They've never done that. <laughs> but you go through that. And you know what? I can't help it. I still love them. I love to love them. I correct them. They need it, but I love them. I love to love them. And I promise to be their dad and to care for them and to love their mom. And I'm going to stay faithful to that promise. And I'm going to love them only because I love them. <laughs> and so with his love and with his promises, God says this. Okay, remember the journey? Remember how everything went? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I remember. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Okay, so think about the journey. And here's the deal I want to make with you. And this is what he says. He says, okay, here's the deal. He says, now, therefore, verse five, now, therefore, if you will keep, if, I'm sorry, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests 
and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak until the children of Israel. Here's what God told Moses. Go tell the people to remember the journey and then give them this offer from me. Here's what I offer my people. I want you to be the people I treasure. You mean after we remember the journey? Yeah. I want you to be the people. I want you to be my peculiar treasure. Now, every mom loves their kid. And, 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 and you know, you've had those moments where your kids go to school and you know, they, maybe they face some conflict or a bully or something. And, and, and have you ever heard an expression from a kid? Nobody loves me. And moms always say, yeah, but I love you. You ever had that conversation? Have you ever had that conversation with your own mom? Nobody loves, well, I love you. Well, that's one thing, you know, and, and, and mom could say, well, you're the greatest kid there ever was. Like, mom, you're not mom of everybody. You don't know, right? Moms have to say that. Come on, they have to say that. that that's all they can say. They don't own everything, but God does. And he says this. Look, no, 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 no. Look it with me. Now uh, he says in verse 6, And ye shall be unto me. Uh, no, back up. He says, uh, If ye keep my covenant, then shall ye be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. Whoa, friend. When the God who owns everything, when the God who owns everything, the stars and the moon, when he owns the sun and the planets, when he owns all the creatures of the sea, when he owns everything and everyone and everything that has ever existed, says, I'm going to make you above it all. I'm going to treasure you. Friend, he's not joking. He's not a mom just making you feel good. He actually means it. He says, I'll, look, he says, here's the, think about the journey. You were worthless. <laughs> And here's what I want to do in exchange. I want, I want you to be the people I treasure. And then he says this, be the people to whom I communicate. I want you to be a kingdom of priests. There's no, by the way, there's no priests at this time. The law doesn't even come to the next chapter. There's no Levitical law. There are no priests. Why would he use that term? Because he's referring to his people this way. I want you, do you know what a priest was in any sense in any, in any religion during that time or since? Do you know what a priest is? Someone who communicates with God directly. Friend, are you getting a hold of that? God wants to communicate with you directly. He doesn't want it in between. He wants to talk to you. He says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. And you know what else a priest does? Not only is he the one in communication with God like this, but he's the one that communicates God with others like this. He wants you to be a kingdom of priests. He wants you to be the one who talks to him directly. And he wants you to be the one who mediates to others who don't know him. Friend, he wants a relationship with you. Why? <laughs> Why bother with people? Because right, yeah. he loves to love. There's no other reason. I want, I want you to be the people I treasure. Friend, he says this. I want you to be the people I treasure. I want you to be the people to whom I communicate. And I want you to be an holy nation, the people I identify with. There are certain people I don't want to identify with. Oh, come on. Don't be so pious. You, you, you're, you're reading this story. 
they complain about water. They complain about food. They're, they're complaining the entire way. They're, I mean, they're, they're good for nothing. I don't want to identify with that. I, that's the kind of thing. It's like, oh. it's, it's like, uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the teen who, who becomes s socially self-aware and realizes my parents aren't as cool as I once thought they were. And then, you know, they're kind of walking in, in the store like this, not actually identifying with their parents because it's difficult to identify with them. How hard is it for the holy God to identify with us? And this is what he says. Come sit at my table. Be my friend. Identify with me. Take on my name. Why would he do such a thing, friend? Why would that God want me? Because he loves me. He loves me. For no other reason. He keeps his promises and he loves to love. Why would God bother? For no other reason than his love. You know why God bothers with you? Same reason. It's not just them. No, wait, time out. It's not just them that are peculiar treasure, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. No, can I read to you Second Peter? I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, 9. But ye, whoa, time out, ye, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. A peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. Friend, God doesn't just love Israel. It's not just them that are his chosen people and, and holy nation. It's you. God loves you just the same. You know, if you summed it all up, there's no other way to look at it than to say that God loves me for who I am. Just the way I am. He, he expected nothing of me. They did nothing to deserve that. I had, I, I, I just bought a tiny house. I know I'm like a year or two past being a millennial, but I'm like channeling being young. I bought a tiny house on wheels. It's hip, it's cool. I bought it because we've got a staff guy. We can't pay him at all. He's dead broke. but. I wanted to provide him some kind of housing because housing is just ridiculously expensive, ridiculously expensive we are, like it is here, right? Yeah. So we got him this tiny house, and we were like, okay, this is going to be awesome. We're setting it up for him. Uh, uh, but when I went to buy it, I mean, we, we had to take a HELOC out of our house so we could buy something. I don't, I don't have money to buy something like that. So I'm like scrimping and saving, trying to save. I found this house is in, in Idaho. It's beautiful, beautiful house. And the guy was, he, he was asking 5,000 less than what he put into it, minus the labor, 
I mean, he, he, he's, he's already going down on price. He'd never been lived in, brand new. But I still didn't have what he was asking. So I asked him for 5000 less than that. And so I was like, oh, man, I hope he takes it. Well, he agreed. And after he agrees, like, wow, this is awesome. So we go, and I, I'm, I'm learning. Uh, I, I, I'm figuring out a way to get it to our place from Idaho. And he discovers I'm a pastor. He says, I, he says, I was a pastor. I, I was a retired pastor. I pastored up in, in uh, Anchorage, Alaska for many years. And then I went into construction. And, and man, that's fantastic. Like, wow, that's, I, I just felt so good about the whole deal. It's awesome, you know? And then we went, and I, and, um, I, I, I'm at the, the, the bank, and I'm ready to, to get a check. And, and I asked the cashier for this cashier's check. I'm, like, trembling. I've never held this much money in all my life. It's like the value of my entire house, you know? Like, you know, shaking like this. And... And he stops me. I, I tell the, the cashier how much I want the check for the, the banker. And he stops me. His name is Bob. and says, now, Matt, we, I can't do that. And I'm like, oh, snap. What's happening? <laughs> like, I can't do that. I, I will not accept a penny less than 5000 less than what you asked. <laughs> I was like, uh... Okay. <laughs> He's like, I'm not, I know you offered this amount, but I'm not going to accept that. I'll only accept 5,000 less than that and not a penny more. Do you know what you say to a deal like that? Yes. <laughs> That's right. Here God makes a deal. He makes a deal with his people. He says, I have a covenant to make with you, friend. He says, you've done nothing to earn it. You've done nothing to earn my love. You've done nothing along the way to show your faithfulness to me. But I want to show how faithful I am to you. I want to make you a, my, my personal treasure. I want to treasure you. I want to love you above everything there is in this world. I want to make you a kingdom of priests. I want a relationship to talk with you individually. And I want you to be a holy nation. I want you to take on my name. Do you know what you say to a deal like that? Let me tell you. This is what you say. <clears throat> and Moses came and called for the elders of the people, verse 7, and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded. And all the people answered together and said, let us think about it. <laughs> no, friend. He said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. It sounds like a great deal. <laughs> and Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. There's only one response that is appropriate to an offer of love like that. Yeah. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Friend, could there, time out, could there be any other response from you for the way God loves you? He says, I accept you just the way you are. Wow. Whatever you want, it's a deal. Now comes the preparation to meet with God. And this is what it says. Verse 10, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today, and tomorrow let them wash their clothes, and be ready against... I'm sorry, this is verse... I think I skipped a verse or two here. Okay, so let's back up to verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee, in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. 
And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. God says, I want to meet with you. Can I introduce you to the second half of the message? The first half is this. God loves you for who you are. Unequivocally, God declares he loves us and accepts us for who we are just as we are. Now listen to this. Now he wants to know if we love him enough to accept him for who he is, just as he is. Friend, if we do love God for who he is, then it will be seen in how we approach him. So God says this, go tell the people to do this. You've got two days to get ready. I want you to get clean. I want you to wash up. Is that one of the command, like part of the Levitical law? There's no Levitical law. There's no, there's not even 10 commandments yet. This has nothing to do with the law. No, what God is about to say transcends the law. It's just about him. I want you to consecrate yourself. I want you to sanctify yourself to come before me. You got to prepare yourself to approach me because approaching me is a serious matter. I want you to come to me on my terms, God says. Now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Time out, time out. Did not God go out of his way to say, I love you exactly the way you are for who you are? Didn't he do that? And yet he says this, no one approaches me just as they are. Isn't that what he said? Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. God loves me for who I am. The question is, do I love him for who he is? says, because the, w- the way you express that love is in the way you approach me. And he says, sanctify yourselves. You see, they are about to do something that no other nation has ever done to meet their heavenly king and to listen to his voice. Wait, wait, I, I thought God accepts me for who I am. Yeah, he does. But this is not about you. Time out. So last week, I I met with Dennis Fountain Sr. And and I know your pastor has a great relationship with Dennis Fountain Jr. and Sr., I guess. And and you went down to visit him in the hospital, and I did too. And I know your church is probably praying. You guys are praying for Dennis Fountain Sr., as as we are too. His, His life is in his hands right now. I mean, it's a serious condition. 
I think this is like the fourth or fifth time cancer has come back and it's all through his body. And he's going through a treatment in the hospital. Well, the doctor said this, we're gonna insert some T cells. You have 10 days in the hospital. You want nothing to happen. You wanna leave here uneventful because if, the, if an event happens while you're here, you'll be dead in 24 hours. Your body will reject it and you'll just die. And if it works, if your body accepts this, then you have a 30% chance of surviving the cancer. You need to pray for Dennis Fountain Sr. I'm, I love the man. Can I say this? If, you, if you've ever met him, you'd never meet another preacher that made you feel so accepted and loved than Dennis Fountain Sr. You've never met a man like that. He, loved, he just loves people. But as I approached the hospital, I wasn't thinking about me. I was thinking about him. And his immune system's weak. And all along the wall, every, every hospital door, there's a station that says, sanctify yourself before you approach. There's some hand sanitizer and there's face masks because it's not about me. It's about him. Oh, yeah, but he accepts me for who I am. I know. But if I accept him for who he is, I'm going to be conscious of who he is. And I'm not going to bring my germs to uh, uh, corrupt his weak body fighting for life. Do you understand what I'm saying? I've got to, I've got to change me to approach him. And, and, and God is saying, what I'm telling you now has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. Because I love you the way you are. You don't need to do anything. I'll just love you the way you are. But friend, if you love him the way he is, then you'll accept him for who he is. And he says, sanctify yourself. He says, get clean. He says, stay away from your wives. And then he says, oh, well, let's read it. It says in verse, thir- uh, verse 12, And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up to the mount, nor touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. Shall sur- Friend, shall surely be put to death. Yeah, but I thought he's a gracious and good God. Come out. It's not about us. It's about him. He's making an expression about who he is. And yes, he loves us for who we are. But the question is, do you love him for who he is? Because if you do, it will be reflected in how you approach him. And so he says, if you touch it, you'll die. And he says, there shall not be in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. And when the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up the mountain. It's not even trumpets being played by men. It is literally the trump of God. It's the same reference to when we hear the trumpet sound when Christ comes back through the clouds. That's quite a trumpet chorus. I mean, we're not talking like one guy off in the corner. I mean, this is the kind of like earth shattering sound like you've never heard in your life. He says, you're going to hear a trumpet sound, and then you'll come up to Mount. Look at verse 14. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes and said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, and come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the, uh, upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Don't come near the mount. As you approach me, think nothing of yourself. Think everything of me. 
Are you getting the message of this text? This is quite the vertical service right here. It has nothing to do with the horizontal at all. Can you imagine a service where the goal was to make people tremble? <laughs> no, God's not seriously doing that. Okay, you tell me. He says, I want the earth to shake. I want thunder and lightning. Have you ever had like that reverberation in your chest when it's like striking right in front of you? I want you to feel thunder and lightning. I want you to hear a heavenly trumpet sound that's going to make you tremble. At Hebrews chapter 12, Moses said, I feared and quaked exceedingly. Because God wants you to feel warm and welcome when you come into his presence. God wants you to know he loves you just for who he is. But God wants you to love him for who he is. Friend, The earth shook. And then comes the invitation. And this is what it says. <clears throat> and Moses brought forth the people, verse 17, out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount, and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. I mean, I'd kind of like to be there for that one. Experiencing the awesome presence of God is a privilege God invites you into. Amen. But could I say this? There is a proper way to approach God, and there is an improper way. Before church, I came up here. There were quite a few kids in the house, i got to say. So I need a little bit of quiet and coffee. So I walked up the street and I stopped at Starbucks. And I came in there and there's not a, there's a table there and there are no chairs. I like people huddled around different areas. And so I'm standing there with coffee, waiting for a chair. Just waiting and waiting like surely somebody's gonna finish their coffee. And I'm sitting there waiting. And I got another guy, he got us coffee. And he was also waiting for a chair. And he came and said, hey, can I, can I stand at your table? I said, sure. So he stood there and I shook his hand. Hey, my, name's, my name's Matt, I said, my name. I gave him his name. And so that's it. That's all I said to him. <laughs> and, and so I'm standing there with my coffee, and I'm just waiting for a seat. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, it's about time. And uh, I thought, well, I'll see you later. I'm, I'm going to head to my appointment over here. And so I, I walked two doors down to the church, and I just missed Pastor Paul. I just missed. He, he went back to the house like stinking. i got to go back in there now. So I walked back. And now this guy doesn't know me, but he saw me come in, and he kind of tilted his head like, you're back. <laughs> so I walked in. I was like, yeah. I had an appointment to move the guy. I just missed him, and so I just stood there. And then he turned and he looked at me. And I, now I, I didn't even say at this point I was going to church. I, honestly, I felt a little awkward. I was just kind of like, I can't even sit anywhere. I was just in the moment, you know, not thinking. But he did look at me. And he said, "You going to church?" 
Now, I've got to be honest, that caught me off guard. It, it, it happens in the States, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't know Canada like the background. And I would have never imagined in a million years, like right here, two doors down in Vancouver on Hastings Street, someone's going to look at me in a suit and tie and say, he's going to church. But that's what he saw. And I was like, well, actually I am. You want to come? That's all I said. And then he began to tell me his story, like people do, because people like to tell their story, you know. And, and so he started telling me a story. I didn't get another word edgewise in. And, and while he's talking, I'm praying, Lord, give me the right word so when he stops talking, I can say the right things. And, and he was interested to talk to me because he saw I was going to church. Like, you look like you're going to meet with God. And, and so I, I began to talk to him. And, and, and this, is, this is what he said. He's like, I, I, can I tell you something? This is, he asked if he could tell me something. I was like, yeah. It's like, I died on the operating table twice. My heart stopped. And, and, and I'm like, whoa. And I'm, in, I'm engulfed in his story, you know? And, and I'm trying to listen to what he has to say. And it's like, I, I died on the operating table. And I came back, and the doctors had the paddles in, in their hand. And he says, man, I, I, I died, and, and things started to get light. And I felt like this hand on my shoulder, like it was all going to be okay. And, 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 you know, I came to, and the doctor said, man, you're... you're, you're uh, you're lucky to be alive. And, and, and I knew it was all going to be okay when I eventually died. And, and like, you know why he's telling me this? He wants me to know he's going to be okay with God. He's like, it's all going to be okay. And I realized, I, I, I realized you know, why I'm having these heart attacks or stress in my life. And it was my wife. And she was the source of my stress. And I left her. And, and, and we've been separated, you know, for 20 years. But, hey, you know, we got a great relationship. I'm not, I, I'm not even saying a word. I'm like... <laughs> I'm just listening. I'm not saying a word, and he's just giving me all this information, and he's saying, "But but everything's good now." And now, and this is how we did. And now I just go around and I tell everybody, "Hey, it's okay when you die. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. It's going to be good." It's like my life is fun, and I enjoy my life, and it's a good life, and and I'm a good person. I mean, that's literally the words coming out of his mouth. And I was like, like, oh wow. And so the only thing I could say, because he's like, he's getting his coffee and he's like starting to head. I was like, I got to go. I was like, hey, if you want to come hear my story, it's just like 1030. Just come down, two doors down. I didn't even get to say anything. But all the time, do you know what he's trying to do? He's saying, it doesn't really matter how I approach God. He'll accept me for who I am. But friend, there is a proper way to approach God. And there's an improper way. In fact, Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said in John chapter 10, he's like, I'm the door to the sheepfold. You don't get into the sheepfold unless you come through me. Friend, there is a proper way to approach God and an improper way, and men are forever trying to approach him improperly. But it's not just in salvation. Friend, I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane, landing gears down. It's not just getting saved in the way we approach him. It's in the way we worship him. Can I, can I share with you what this meant to me in my own life? We, we our church, if you don't know, we pastor our church in Sammamish. I, I guess we don't. Well, secretly, she makes great messages. But I'm, I'm the pastor, okay? You get the idea. So <clears throat> I'm in Sammamish, and it's about 65,000 people. By the size of the city per capita, it just became the richest city in America. The richest city. 
It's not the most expensive city. I'm sure you can live in downtown New York and it'll be more expensive to live. But as far as what people earn, it's the richest city in America. The median income. This includes the grocers and the baristas that would lower the income down. The median, the average income in my city per household, 183000 It's expensive. Do you know what people who make $183,000 that live in a selfie generation are not comfortable with? Worshiping anyone other than themselves. <laughs> but God began to burden me about something. And look, I, I, don't, I, don't, I loved, again, again, I love the spirit of, of your church and the attitude you brought in approaching God. I love that. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. But here's what I was concerned about. A lot of times the way we worship God at FBC was more of a reflection of us than it was of him. And every time I began to read about worship, and Abraham met with God, he fell on his face and he worshiped God. And Jacob fell on his face and worshiped God. And, and the Bible says... <clears throat> The Bible says in, in, in uh, uh, what is it, in uh, Psalms 95, 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And David bowed and worshiped God. And Jesus himself, in praying to God, bowed and worshiped God. And almost every time you read the word worship, it's in relation to this posture of bowing. And look, it doesn't make you spiritual, but I couldn't get away from the fact that it was a reflection of the God we serve. To demonstrate the worship of another was to bow before him. And think, well, that was just cultural for that time because that were used. Look, I, I went through all those arguments. And I told God, Lord, that's just cultural because our culture is not into bowing. I know. They make a lot of money. They're all about themselves. They don't bow. They're not, they don't have this church history thing. They don't know what an altar is. I had another pastor come use the building that we were using and he saw my altar from the community. He's like, what is that? That's an altar. Do people actually use it? And that's what he's saying to me. And I thought, Lord, did you hear what they said? And all I could hear God saying is, was it about you or was it about me? Are you here to worship what you're comfortable with? Or are you here to do what reflects who I am? Because one day, when the four and twenty beasts and the elders bowed down before God for all eternity, it will transcend every culture, a posture that reflects our creator, that will be for the rest of eternity bowing and worshiping him. And I began to lead our people in bowing him, not because we're comfortable with it, but because I couldn't get away from the fact that we sometimes love how God loves us more than we love him for who he is. Because if you really love someone, it'll be expressed in the way you approach him. There's so much more. I, I've got to conclude this. There's so much more I want to say. There's a little bit of Jesus in this passage later on where all the, all the preparation in the world cannot prepare them to still approach God. They need Jesus. You can read uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 18 through 25 or so and learn about that. Do it at some other time. I just got to end on this thought. God loves you for who you are. Isn't that amazing? It's like mind-blowing awesome when you think about the journey. Like he would love you unconditionally.
and says, I accept you just the way you are. But if you love him, will you accept him the way he is? I didn't tell my wife I was going to do that. Can, this is my wife. She's beautiful. This is her ring. See that? I want you to know I claimed her. <laughs> but I haven't. No, no, listen. So you see this ring? <laughs> I put that on her finger. And I didn't even tell my wife about this. So I hope I don't get in trouble. <clears throat> I remember when we were getting close, like popping the question, you know? And you know who? Oh, a woman's never going to say, I want that ring. Or at least mine, mine didn't. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I really got myself into trouble. I don't know. I hope not. I hope not. Oh, boy. But, you know, you'd be walking by and do your stuff. Oh, that's so beautiful. I got the hints. I started getting the hints, you know. Like I knew what she wanted. Diamond cut. Princess cut. Or not diamond. Uh, a princess cut diamond? That's square cut. Yeah. And she was really digging the antique look. It's kind of a, a thing. It's coming into popularity, you know? Man, I'm going to pop the question. I gotta, I'm a college student paying my own way. I mean, my budget's a little small. So I go into the store, <clears throat> and I'm looking at the rings. Show me the princess cut antique diamond rings. They pull them out. And that diamond is so small, you need a magnifying glass to look at it. I'm like, that was my budget. It's like, <laughs> I can't even see it. I was like, do you have anything bigger for this price? And they showed me this ring. And it was significantly bigger. Like the carrots in that ring were twice the carrots of the stinking princess cut with the antique stuff. It was like twice the diamond. And I was looking at it, and I was like, I don't want my wife to think I'm cheap. I know what she said she wanted, but I want her to know. And, and you know what? I don't want other people. In this, I, I hate to admit it. I didn't want other people in college. It's like, hey, oh, just show me your ring. Like, oh, that's what Matt bought you. <laughs> you. You know what I'm saying? And so I got her this ring. <laughs> I got her this ring because I wanted it to be an expression of my love for her. It was something I was proud of. And so I gave it to her. And, and you know what? She loved it. She cried. She's like, oh. And, and there were tears of joy, at least I'm assuming so. You know, and she's so happy to receive the ring I gave her. You know, and I asked her. I was like, babe, I know you wanted this kind. Uh, you know, the princess cut and the, and the antique ring and all that. It's like, but, but is this okay? She's a good woman. You know what she said? Of course it is. It's all I've ever wanted. She said all that, but I've been married a long time now. <laughs> and I know. And you know, for, for, for 15 years of marriage, she's never, ever, ever once brought it up or complained about it. Ever. Never once. Never once. But can I tell you something? I've had five kids. We've had ups and downs. We had three miscarriages back to back to back. You learned about that last time we were here. Three miscarriages back to back to back. A year and a half ago, my wife battled cancer. One day, 
when I can afford it. I'm going to buy her another ring. It won't be a reflection of me. It'll be all about her. Do you understand what I'm saying? I didn't get that ring. Because as an expression, I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't want to be embarrassed. I don't care about being embarrassed. I love her. I don't want my love to reflect me. I've loved her long enough. Can you agree with me? After 15 years, your love kind of grows. And I want it to be about her. She loves me just as I am. So it's only right that I love her just the way she is. You know, sometimes we approach God and we love that he loves us just the way we are. We sing about it. We focus on it. He accepts me just the way I am. But then he turns and he says, do you love me for who I am? And you know what we say? God, if I love you that way, it's going to embarrass me. I'm going to look like a peculiar people. I may be like a holy nation. People might not come in the church and appreciate it. You love me for who I am, like I love you. Do you realize he's the holy God? <coughs> the awesome God. Who makes the mountain quake. Who, who transcends down to us in that pillar of fire and smoke. That's that has the, the trumpet blast that demands that we come before him clean and different. Yeah, but that's, that's really not, that's not who I am. Friend, it's not about who we are. It's about who he is. Do you love him for who he is? In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis wrote of a conversation that Susan was having with a beaver. And the beaver said, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His way.